Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, which means it is Draft Deep Dives Day, and the draft itself is going to be on Thursday, so we are in the waning hours leading up to the 2021 NBA draft. So I'm here today with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, hashtag basketball draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. And Tyler, how are you doing today? Nick, I'm great. We are so close. Two days, finish line in sight. I'm exhausted, but cannot wait for the draft. Uh, it it should be a good one. There's so much talent, really interesting moves to be made, and I can't wait to see where some of these guys land. Really interesting moves to be made, and some moves have already been made, which we will get into later in the podcast, but we are going to spend most of our time today covering the updated top 85 players in the 2021 NBA draft that Tyler has just released on hashtag basketball.com. And we're going to talk about some of the players that have moved around in that top 85. So we've been doing our prospect deep dives based on the previous top 75. And there have been some players that have moved up and down Tyler's board pretty significantly since then. And we're going to start with one that kind of wasn't that big of a move in terms of just the raw number of spots moved, but for the first time for either of us, I think, all year, you have someone inside the top five that was not the top five for most of the year of Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, and Jonathan Kaminga. You have finally made the leap and put Trey Mann at number five on your big board for this top 85. So you've been a Trey Mann fan for a while. You've expressed that numerous times on this here podcast, but why did you end up deciding to move Trey Mann into the top five of this draft at fifth overall on your board? You know, I, I, I'm not entirely sure besides the fact that I fully buy into him having that one elite skill of, I guess two elite skills of creating his own shot and combined with shooting off the dribble and then his ability to run that two-man game and every playoffs we always talk about all this all this contender is missing is a guy to get his own shot all they're missing is the guy to effectively run a pick and roll or a two-man game and that's exactly what Trey Mann does um I I acknowledge that I am significantly higher than on him than the rest of the world besides maybe his mother and i just i he's the type of point guard that we continue to see succeeding at a really high level in the nba and the knocks i always hear on him are he's a bad playmaker and he sucks at defense and i view his playmaking in a little better light mainly because of how effectively he runs that two-man game uh, especially with setting up the roller. Uh, he he does need to improve reading the weak side and that help defender, but I think that will come eventually. Um, and then I also don't think he's as big of a disaster defensively as most people do. The biggest thing is just his off-ball defense. He zones out a little bit or gets too locked into his man and misses a rotation, but I think his perimeter footwork is generally pretty good. And the kid grew four inches, last year or last summer so and then had very limited access to a weight room 
all season because of COVID. So once he's in that NBA strength and conditioning program, I think he will fill out a little more. I think that will help him on both ends of the floor. And, you know, he showed a little more bounce than at the combine than he did in live games. I, I get that that's should be taken with a grain of salt because it's an empty gym highlight dunk, you know, or layup line type dunk um, as opposed to beating a guy off the dribble and dunking over a weak side rotation defender. But all of that, I just see a really unique, at worst, an awesome offensive point guard in the NBA for quite some time. So at number seven, you now have James Booknight. So that's a jump of seven spots up from the top 75, the previous version of the top 75. Now, granted, Booknight's kind of been in that top 10 range for a lot of the year. So this isn't, I guess, that big of a jump sort of on previous evaluations. It's just that he happened to fall after, let's say, a not-so-strong end to his season, but now you have him back in the top 10 at 7, and there's also been some talk in recent days that Oklahoma City is apparently very, very interested in Book Knight and might be looking to take him at 6th. So I guess with Book Knight, it's really just a lot of his off-ball stuff that has you putting him in the top 10 at 7 here. I, I absolutely love his off-ball movement, and I'm I'm not saying he's Devin Booker because he's not that good of a shooter, um, at least yet. But the way he gets into his shots is very Devin Booker esque, where he's running off floppy action and getting it on the wing on the move, and then attacking the lane and kicking out, or typically for him scoring. Um, just he uses his off-ball movement to create an imbalance on the floor and attack advantages from there. It's not your traditional off ball shooter where like a JJ Redick, where he's sprinting off screens and catching right away. That's not the type of off ball player he is. It's let me change pace, lose my guy through screens, drastically cut towards the rim, create space this way, and then reset and attack. However, the defense is rotating and just the way, the way he does that is so unique and there really isn't anyone else in this class that does that um i I worry about the passing it's not good but i think being paired with a legitimate point guard will not make that as big of an issue so you mentioned oklahoma city with with uh playing alongside shea and i absolutely adore that fit for him up next, you have Josh Giddy moving up to the spot right behind Book Knight. So you have Giddy jumping up five spots to number eight in the most recent top 85. And with Giddy, it's all about his passing and creation ability as a 6'8 guy. And it'll be interesting to see where he ends up going because he's not quite in the sort of top four range of this draft, but... You had him going to Orlando at number five overall in our mock draft, and it'll be interesting to sort of see what part of the lottery he ends up going in, but certainly someone who has risen from not really on draft radars before this season began to someone who seems to be a pretty clear lottery pick. With his size and passing ability, it's just such a unique combination that it'll be really hard to pass up. I I do have concerns over his shooting and general scoring ability, but 
even if he can just become average as a shooter and some of the pre-Olympic games, the, the exhibition games, his shot looked a little better. Uh, so that's encouraging. And by all accounts, he's an extraordinary worker, but it's, it's taking him top 10 or lottery is essentially just buying all the way into his playmaking, which I do. And every pass he delivers is on an absolute frozen rope where there is no arc. There is no lag time allowing defenders to recover everything, whether it's an two hand over the head, right or left hand live dribble, skip pass across the court. It's all on a direct line with incredible velocity and accuracy. And with at that size, it's, it's so rare to find six, eight primary initiators with that type of passing ability. Up next at number 15, you have Miles McBride out of West Virginia jumping up eight spots here. And McBride is a player that we both agree on as someone who is going to be a defensive menace from day one in the NBA, but has a really interesting offensive upside that in flashes, he's shown moments of having a lot higher of a ceiling offensively than most of the players that you're going to get probably towards the back end of the first round is where he ends up going. But you have him at 15 on the updated top 85, and he's certainly a prospect that we both agree on as someone who's got a clear defensive pedigree, but a really intriguing offensive upside if he could piece it together. And and he's been one of my favorites all all season, and it was just me being hesitant to really buy in as am I just falling in love with this guy's motor and the actual basketball skills aren't there. Um, but you know, doing the third or fourth or whatever number watch through on him, it was, and you, you nailed it with his defense. He's going to be an absolute stud defender. Um, just an on ball terror, but the, the offensive upside is really, really interesting for someone of his defensive caliber where he proved that he's he has the ability to be this elite off-ball shooter, which is encouraging that you can play him alongside another point guard or a jumbo initiator, which makes his role offensively really versatile and really flexible. But he also proved to be a really effective pull-up shooter, mainly in the mid-range. His form got a little erratic when he pulled up from three, but through more reps, through more strength training and all that i i think that will improve and he won't be asked to take the types of shots that he had to take at west virginia because he was that entire offensive hub so if he can rein in the shot selection a little bit his he could be a really really quality scorer and he's never gonna make a bad decision his assist to turnover rate was really impressive he's not this high level playmaker but he doesn't make mistakes with the ball up next the biggest riser on this top 85 by quite a bit going from out of the second round projection to number 17 overall on the top 85 you have bumped jt thor of auburn from 61 on the big board all the way up to number 17 and with thor it's understandable that he made a jump late in the process he's an 18 year old supreme athlete who's definitely a project but there's enough intriguing tools there that you know you could see a team really sort of falling in love with him and deciding to 
take him, you know, towards the back half of the first round, but certainly someone who's got a lot of developmental work to go, you could just see that the upside is potentially there with him and it could be pretty staggering if he figures it all out. Yeah, I, I hesitated to really buy into him because I just expected him to return to Auburn because when you look at his stats and his film, it's not the most overwhelming stuff. But when you look at the pieces of what he did throughout the season and how he gradually started piecing things together, it was really impressive for someone with his size and length. And you mentioned him being a project, and I think he 100% will be, but the payoff on that could be astronomical because even though he didn't shoot well from outside this year, I really like his mechanics. They're smooth, high release, just everything is fluid and connected. So I I expect him to eventually be a good, at least off ball shooter and defense is the real upside with him. He moves his feet well on the perimeter. So despite being six ten, he can switch nearly everything I wouldn't expect him to guard up in size because he is still pretty lanky and thin, but as a weak side rim protector, he showed a lot of promise. So it it's probably the biggest upside pick in this draft or one of the top three. I'm fascinated to see where he ends up going, but if a team is willing to be patient with him or develop him, he has all the tools to be, a really, really dynamic four in this league. And it wouldn't even surprise me if he ends up having a Jaden McDaniels-esque rookie year either. Up next at number 18, a guy who has jumped 14 slots, Trey Murphy out of Virginia. And we talked about this on the mock draft. He's someone who I had out of the first round on my top 30 from about a month and a half ago, but at this point would definitely move him into the first round. And it's pretty clear to see his NBA fit. He's a 6'9", 3D wing type doesn't really have sort of superstar creation upside with the ball in his hands, but he's good on the defensive end and he can knock down shots and he's six, nine. So it's pretty easy to see why teams are starting to get intrigued by Murphy late in the draft process. Uh, six, nine, I think he was 50, 40, 90 shooting splits this season, which is elite and awesome defender, both on and off ball. It was his season was really impressive and kind of came out of nowhere and unexpected um, at Virginia. And he has very, he's not much of a threat at all uh, with the ball. Um, I don't think he's going to be dynamic at attacking closeouts. uh, Won't create at all in isolation, excellent cutter freak athlete who can finish above the rim, but he'll knock down open shots. He'll defend the other team's best player two really important skills in the modern NBA. And it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up going 14 to Golden State. It sounds like they've worked out Davion Mitchell, Chris Duarte, and Trey Murphy uh, multiple times. So all the reports are that they're kind of torn between those three. But it, I love that fit for him. So it, it'll be really interesting to see what where he goes. But two really unique skills and really high-level skills that can fit any rotation up next you have Usman Gruba out of Real Madrid and Spain jumping up to 20th overall so that's a jump of 15 spots since the previous top 75 and with Gruba we've talked about this at some length but 
he is the best pick and roll defender in this class, I think, and one of the best yeah. rim protectors, weak side shot blockers as well. The issue with him is just does he do anything at all on offense? And towards the end of his season, he had a few encouraging games and moments, notably a 24.12 rebound game with Real Madrid that, you know, showed that he can at least do a little something on offense. And given how special his defense is going to be, and we've also seen that with his play in the Olympics and Olympic qualifiers, Given how special it seems like his defense is going to be, he just needs to do something on offense, and it's a little easier now to have confidence that he can do something on the offensive end than it was sort of earlier in the evaluation process. Yeah, you you, you hit the nail on the head there, and with his uh, absurd defense, it, it just felt wrong to have him outside of the first round because even if he ends up giving you anything on offense, he ends up being a plus player and absolutely a first round talent. So I, I expect him to be a multi-positional defender. He gets a little jittery on defense, so he needs to calm down a little bit on that end, but his instincts, his work rate are through the roof and projects really well as a rim protector. He's shown some really interesting flashes of passing, especially on the interior and out of the short roll, which could really help his um, offensive ceiling. But at the end of the day, end of the day, he's going to have to be able to knock down just open catch and shoot threes at a reasonable clip. Otherwise, I don't see the ball handling ever getting to a point where he's not a liability with the ball in his hand. Um, so just continue to improve his passing out of the short roll, knock down open catch and shoot threes. And if he can do that, uh, just his offensive impact will be, you know, worth whatever he brings on defense. And the second biggest riser on the board, Josh Primo out of Alabama, all the way up to number 22 overall. So jumping up 31 spots and he's sort of a project player on the wing who can shoot. And that's definitely going to be the calling card for him early also someone who's sort of risen up draft boards pretty dramatically in the last few weeks, but you now have Primo at 22 overall, where previously you had him at 53. So basically towards the back end of the second round now to towards the back end of the first round. So similar situation to JT Thor, where I fully expected Primo to go back to Alabama for a season and selfishly i really wanted him to because i wanted to see more of an on-ball creator point guard role for him because this season his entire offensive role was off ball and what that showed us is that he can be an elite off ball shooter and that his outside shooting is a legitimate skill for him it also showed that he's a very limited passer very limited playmaker doesn't create much off the dribble but at the combine, he was he showed that he or he showed more of that, and he really impressed with that. So, if that was just a dormant skill and it's in the process of emerging, it could be a huge, huge swing for his offensive upside because if he can play make, if he can create off the dribble, it just allows the the offense to do a lot more. But at worst, offensively, he's going to be a good knockdown shooter. And then defensively, he's a very good on-ball defender. Off-ball defense was a little more erratic, but I chalk a lot of that up to him being one of the, I think, the youngest player in this draft. So it 
they, they seem more like mistakes that young kids make versus mistakes that bad defenders make. So I think some of the off-ball stuff gets ironed out. But at worst, awesome off-ball shooter, awesome on-ball defender with legitimate on-ball offensive upside. All right, so now that we've talked about some of the guys who have risen up the draft board with the newest top 85, let's talk about some of the fallers on the draft board. And starting out here with Kai Jones, who has fallen six spots to 14th overall. And, you know, given a lot of the draft philosophy stuff that we talked about with centers and not wanting to pick them unless you're very sure that they have a clear skill with elite level upside you know i could see why he's falling down the board with kai jones there's been a decent amount of talk recently that he is going to end up going to charlotte at 11th which is a fit that makes a whole lot of sense and which is where he went on our mock draft but you have him falling at 14th overall and i'm guessing that's mostly due to just evaluation of centers and also maybe some of the stuff with Jones with the ball in his hands as well. Yeah. And you know, it was even more so guys moving ahead of him than him necessarily falling. And it, I just got a little more hesitant about how reliable that outside shot is because it wasn't super high volume. Um, I love the fit in Charlotte that their transition offense with him, LaMelo and Bridges would be insane and he would really help their defense. I I'm fully bought in on him being a high level defender. It's what can he do offensively because he's, he kind of found himself getting lost in no man's land after cutting where he would cut, he wouldn't get it. And then he would just kind of float and clog up the offense. So his just floor awareness and floor positioning wasn't always the best. And he was a really bad screener, which I, I think that's a teachable skill. And Texas never really looked for him off the roll or in rarely off the pop, but just his footwork with screening and willingness to make contact and stuff like that wasn't the most encouraging. So a niche skill, but an important one. So it's just kind of what type of offensive role and impact can he actually have? Up next, you have Jaden Springer falling from 10th overall to 23rd overall. So now it seems like you're closer to in line with where I have Springer than before where you were quite a bit higher on him than I was. For me, the concern with why I sort of had him towards the back half of the first round was just that I'd be worried about his ability to score around the rim at the NBA level. So I'm guessing that might have some part in why you've dropped Springer 13 spots, but what are your thoughts on Springer and why did you have him falling in this latest version of the top 85? On the rewatch, I was just much less impressed with his actual space creation and ability to get into his own shot where you know there there are rumors that he had this nagging ankle injury all year which obviously would hurt his explosiveness and that hurt some of his space creation and i i can accept that but his ball handling wasn't at such a unique level where it, the injury completely explained it where because he took a lot of really contested mid-range shots and he he made a good amount of them i generally like his shooting mechanics the out the three point volume was 
really low, but I do think he eventually gets to be a, a quality three-point shooter, but his playmaking underwhelmed me, his space creation worried me, and but I, I do think he will be a good shooter eventually, but more importantly, I think he's one of the better guard defenders, so... I dropped on him, but my view on his defense didn't really change at all. It's mostly how is he going to get into his shots and what can he do offensively? Well, certainly someone else who the question is going to be what can they do offensively is Isaiah Jackson out of Kentucky, who you've dropped nine spots to 28th overall. And with Jackson, the defense and particularly the shot blocking are clear to see and the athleticism, the athletic tools are definitely there, but he didn't show anything of a jump shot at all really at Kentucky and the offensive upside with him, it's definitely going to be the concern and why he might or why he would end up falling towards the end of the first round. If he does in fact fall to 28th or so on draft night. I, I just don't know what you do with him offensively. Common theme here with the guys who are dropping for me. But I, I he's an elite shot blocker, really springy athlete, good rebounder, great length, all of that. Um, he was recently quoted saying that he views himself as a stretch four, uh, which I find a little concerning, seeing that he rarely shot the ball and showed very little success doing it. So if he's viewing himself as more of a three four as opposed to a four five, then I don't love that for him. If you would have said stretch five, this is, I know, dumb rationale on my part, but even if you would have just said stretch five, I think that's more enticing. But and the the lack of strength, the lack of shooting and space creation and all of that stuff, I, I think is kind of concerning. But at worst, he's go- he will be a really good shot blocker. So... I I don't worry about his defense really at all. And I think he does have the athleticism to at least occasionally defend on the perimeter as well. So he should have said stretch six, in other words, is what we're going for here. Exactly, exactly. There we go. Well, speaking of, he's not a stretch six. Well, there's no such thing as a stretch six. But (laughs) anyway, moving on to someone who has fallen to 40th. So out of the first round, dropping 13 spots on your latest big board, Ayodesunmu out of Illinois. And we just did a deep dive on Desunmu. So, you know, there's some stuff that we can rehash from that. I'm higher on Desunmu than you are. I think he is a first round talent. And with him, you know, as we discussed, I think the main disagreement between us is just that I buy into his jump shot a little bit more than you do. And and that's the big thing for me. And, you know, just looking at my board right now, you know, the, these guys in the thirties all the way to Dosunmo are pretty interchangeable for me. So it's not like there's a drastic gap between the way I view Dosunmo at 40 versus say Dayron Sharp at 34. But I, I just struggle to buy the shot and hopefully he proves me wrong. If he does, he, he could be, he will be a really good player. I don't think he's very effective in the half court. Um, I He's going to have to play alongside another point guard, but given his size and strength and defensive abilities, that won't be a huge detriment, but it'll have to be a scoring or playmaking first guard because I, I struggle to see how he really creates at a high level 
in in the half court and how he effectively scores in the half court in transition he's awesome both playmaking and scoring and i i do think he will be a good defender so i i think he will be a good nba player i just think he has a lot lower ceiling than some others do and a player in a sort of similar draft range on the updated top 85 you dropped bones highland a few spots so he's now at 30th overall falling six spots from where he previously was on the board and I'm guessing that a lot of that is the stuff that we talked about during the Bones Highland deep dive, you know, just sort of worries about creation and peak upside creation for others. He's, you know, pretty good at shot creation. It's more sort of playmaking stuff with him. Yeah, he he's a he's a really fun kind of on ball self creator. Uh, not much of a passer at all. I, I think he's going to be kind of a ball stopper, but he's a, he's a really fun shooter, incredibly fun scorer. Uh, so, and he's one of those players where you absolutely love watching him just because of how electric and dynamic and exciting he is. I'm just not sure how much he will contribute to winning. Uh, and I still, I still view him as, you know, right at, right at the end of the first round. I, I think he's a really special scoring talent. I just worry about his physical makeup and what he will offer defensively and kind of in that playmaking role. But if he's used as a bench scorer, uh, that's really, he, he could have a really successful career. So up next, you have David Johnson out of Louisville, who's fallen to 43rd. So dropping 10 spots and with Johnson, you know, he certainly had an interesting season at Louisville, much less efficient shooting-wise as the season went along and less efficient than he was during his freshman season. But the ball handling and creation package with him combined with the potential for his three-point shooting makes him a pretty intriguing player, you know, now sort of falling towards the middle of the second round rather than sort of beginning of the second round where he was on the previous edition of the board. I, I still really like David Johnson as that kind of second round sleeper that comes out of nowhere and has a really exciting and productive rookie season because he, he's a really strong player, really good interior finisher, uh, great creator out of the pick and roll. And I like his overall playmaking. I don't, I think Louisville did him a disservice playing him mostly off ball this season because I just, I really worry about the shot. And if the shot never comes around, uh, he's, he's just going to be so limited. He showed more confidence and more willingness to shoot it from outside this year than he did his freshman year, but the results weren't drastically dissimilar. So I, I worry about how effective that shot will be. And if he can't get on the floor because of his shot, then what kind of role is he really going to play? So I like him. I just worry that he won't necessarily get the appropriate opportunities to really develop and show off his skill set. And up next at 55, so falling 15 spots since the previous edition, Greg Brown out of Texas. And with Greg Brown, really the upside is he's an incredible athlete and the downside is pretty much anything else you can think about i mean other than the athleticism it's hard to think of a calling card for brown so it does certainly make sense to me that he's sliding like this on the latest edition of the top 85 
it's tough because guys with his athleticism are hard to come by and he's so much fun athletic athletically but i he just didn't show that he knew how to play basketball and i know that sounds harsh but his his assist to turnover ratio was horrid his shooting was not encouraging and even though the numbers weren't appalling just his mechanics I don't buy in on and his shot selection I didn't love his ability to create his own shot I didn't love Um, everything he did was purely off of his explosiveness and you know that made him an an intriguing rebounder he played with good energy Uh, he could potentially be a good weak side rim protector but I think he's such a project and so many things are going to have to go right for him that I I'd be hesitant to use anything more than a late second round flyer on him. And finally wrapping up the fallers section here, one that was a bit surprising to me, actually, certainly the Brown falling down the top 85 here was not as surprising to me, but now it's 66, so out of the back end of the second round, now dropping 20 spots, Eve Pons out of Tennessee. And for me, I think that he is a guy that I would have pretty clearly as a second rounder. I think the defensive intensity effort is obvious. I think the mm-hmm. lob catching and athleticism stuff on offense is pretty clear. The jump shot is non-existent, but... He did seriously improve his free throw numbers this year, so up into the 70s percentile-wise, and that doesn't indicate necessarily that he's going to develop a jump shot anytime soon, but it does at least show that he has some level of touch that he's really gotten much better on in that regard. So Pons falling entirely out of a second-round grade is pretty surprising for me, I think, dropping 20 spots from 46 to 66, but... What are your thoughts sort of on the reevaluation of Pons at this point in the draft process? So Pons was one of my favorite players to watch all season, but offensively, I really were, I, I struggle to see what type of role he actually has because that, that shot is rough. I, I don't think it off the top of my head. I don't think the shooting numbers were actually as bad as his shot looks, but he has zero touch on that shot and the mechanics are funky, but all, all of his positive impact will come defensively. And he is one of the most explosive and fun shot blockers in the country. And I think he he's probably my favorite shot blocker in this class. So, but I, I worry about at his size, height, you know, not strength because the, the man is jacked, but at his height, how much of what he got away with in college can he get away with in the NBA? So I worry that that will limit him. But if he finds the right situation, I think he could have a really important impact, say, just if he went to like Minnesota with an, with Carl Anthony Towns, where he's playing that rim protector role, I think that will do him wonders. But if he's asked to actually go in and play that small ball five, I think he's going to struggle more. So I think situation is going to be really important for him. I'm even though I have him at 66, I'm not against him going in the second round by any means. It's just, I think he, he has to find that right situation. Otherwise 
I, I think he could be become pretty expendable pretty quickly. So by the time this podcast goes live, there will be less than 48 hours until the 2021 NBA draft. So before we wrap things up here, just wanted to talk about some draft night trade rumors and talk about something that I teased earlier in the podcast. We have, in fact, had not really draft night, obviously, but pre-draft trade here between the New Orleans Pelicans and the Memphis Grizzlies with the Pelicans sending the 10th overall pick, the 40th overall pick, Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and next year's Lakers first round pick, top 10 protected, to the Memphis Grizzlies for the 17th pick, the 51st pick, and Jonas Valanciunas. And it's interesting. New Orleans, first of all, there are rumors that they're already looking to move this 17 pick that they just acquired again for presumably more right now help. I think the Valanciunas fit in New Orleans is really interesting, and I certainly think that he makes a lot more sense for them than Steven Adams does at this point. But it is interesting to me that the Pelicans were the first team to sort of move their lottery pick in the lead-up to draft night. What were your thoughts on that deal? I didn't really get it from Memphis's point of view, unless they have a few guys at 10 that they're really in love with. Um, I, th- I thought Valanciunas was incredibly important to what they did last year, and I, I think he continues to be an underrated player throughout the league. Um, for New Orleans, it was it cleared up a bunch of money for them, so I, I believe now they have enough space to re-sign Lonzo, re-sign Josh Hart, and even you know people keep floating out there that they could be in the running for Kyle Lowry. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure why Lowry would go there over Toronto or Philly or the Lakers or wherever, but it, 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 it I liked him. I think I liked him more for New Orleans because of just the space it freed up and just getting off of Bledsoe and Adams who clearly didn't really fit. Um, the only, the, the Zion Adams pairing was a little clunky besides rebounding when I, I you know I think they were the best offensive rebounding duo in the league um, but Valanciunas can will obviously help in that aspect and he can occasionally knock down an open three once in a blue moon too so that will help with their spacing um, yeah and I'm just really intrigued now to see what Memphis does with that number 10 pick and if they actually use it or use it to package that in some else for a player or to move up even farther so there's a lot of pieces just kind of moving around and creating flexibility for both teams so the discussions on this front have started to die down in the last couple of days but there has been some noise that the rockets tried to move up a slot to get number one from detroit and that detroit is reportedly asking for a whole heck of a lot to move up to number one. Also, some rumors that maybe OKC tried to give Shea Gillages Alexander and sixth overall pick for number one, but seems pretty clear at this point that Detroit is going to hold on to that number one overall pick. There's also some smokescreen stuff about them maybe not taking Cade at number one, maybe looking at Jalen Green at number one, but seems pretty clear at this point, you know, 
about 48 hours before the actual first pick of the night that Detroit is going to be making that pick, and it's going to be Kate Cunningham barring a really spectacularly surprising move at this point. But it is funny that the smokescreen season discussions of the Rockets trading up for that pick lasted as long as they did. I'm not entirely sure what the Rockets would give up that would warrant Detroit passing on Kate Cunningham. You know, I, Kevin Porter Jr. has shown some promise, but I I don't want to pass up Cade for him. Um, I I don't love the asset, the quote unquote asset that Houston got back for James Harden. So I, I understand why Houston would try to move up, but I I think it's smart for Detroit to to stand pat and stay where they are. They have a lot of young talent, and by bringing in Cade Cunningham, they hopefully, God, I hope they if they go a different direction there they'll be foolish but they'll have this franchise cornerstone who can control every aspect of the game can score can create for others is an incredible leader really hard worker and just a great person by all accounts and to get that as the only number one pick in your franchise's history it's really hard to pass on and the sga and six trade i i think is interesting. I, I I don't know how much validity there is to it because, you know, it was floated on Twitter as rumors have it. So you never know how legit that offer was. But if OKC is offering me a trade, I I want more and more of their war chest of picks. So I, I think Detroit is smart to stay at one. I think they should take Kate Cunningham. If they don't, I, I don't understand the thought process because despite liking Green and Suggs and Mobley, I like them a lot, but Cade is just such a better basketball player on all fronts than all of them. All right. Anything else you want to cover here before we wrap things up? I I don't think so. I, th- I think we covered a lot of this draft class and just top 85 draft guide over on hashtag basketball.com. Go check it out. A uh, bunch of scouting reports over there too. Corey Kispert and JT Thor are submitted. So hopefully those come out soon. I'm going to try and crank out a couple more here up until the draft uh but we'll we'll see what time permits um but yeah no this was a really fun draft cycle and i i I can't wait for thursday and see what happens all right well he is tyler metcalf you can find him on twitter at t-m-e-t-c-a-l-f-1-1 and you can find his work on both hashtag basketball and on canis hoopas Definitely make sure to take a look at the top 85 that we talked about in today's episode. You can find my work on hashtag basketball as well, and you can also find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you enjoy the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. That's definitely much appreciated on our end. And we will have one more episode of the NBA Deep Dives podcast this season. So Tyler and I will be back on Friday to do a deep dive and wrap up of what happens on Thursday night with the NBA draft. But in the meantime, if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.